Passages from 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. In the Pew Bibles, it's one, page 1019. Uh, Simeon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may, ha- you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith and virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up, by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of God. kind of interesting. Uh, it's been a while since I've done the presiding and the preaching. Um, normally we got Pastor Susang here or I'm doing the presiding and he's preaching. Um, but uh, as, you, as you know, Pastor Susang, he's with Team 2 and Bishop and they're getting back tomorrow. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Young Kim and I'm one of the pastors here, associate pastor at New Hope. And um, as I mentioned, you know, for the past Nine days or so, I guess, um, we were in Bishop, California, getting to share the gospel there. And, uh, you know, in those, in those nine days, we saw some pretty, pretty amazing things. And we were able to really participate with God, as our passage says here, being a partaker in the divine nature and uh, participate in the great um, deeds and works that he's doing there in the hearts of the Paiute people. And uh, I hope that I can share a little bit about that today. And I'm sure our brothers and sisters who come later will have their own stories as well. Um, we definitely benefited from all of your prayers. So I just want to say on behalf of uh, the bishop team and all the Paiute uh, people that you probably know, um, you know, have met. And we just want to say thank you. Praise the Lord for you. And uh, it's definitely good to be back with you all here. So um, during our time there, our team, um, in the mornings, we would share some really meaningful times of 
reading and meditation on God's Word. And uh, today, uh, I thought I would share one of those highlights with you, uh, which comes out of this reading, the first chapter of Second Peter. So, um, just to start, uh, give you a little picture of uh, what it was like to be me in Bishop this year. Um, it was really interesting for me to get to spend a pretty extended amount of time with our young people. So we got a lot of uh, people from the youth group and from the college group who are in Bishop. And, uh, you know, when you get to spend a lot of time with people, you learn something about them and something about just life in general. Um, one of the things that I learned about was a phenomenon that is now sweeping across not just our country, but the entire world, Pokemon Go. <laughs> okay? Um, I don't know if you know about this game. Uh, if, if you don't, you will, uh, because I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, but also because it's, it's crazy. It's all over the news. It's all over the world. Um, just really shortly, what it, all it is is uh, it's the Pokemon game on your smartphone, but merged with kind of uh, actual real um, uh, locations, you know, via the GPS system and all that. Um, and it's an app that you can download, you know, both iPhones and Droid. Um, so uh, it, it's it's a, actually a, a really clever idea of um, combining like everyday technology that you know a lot of people have, millions of people around the world have, you know, our our smartphones, and combining that with an already existing you know, worldwide global fan base. And, uh, you know, you do that, and that's already a moneymaker right there, right? And so um, just to give you an idea of how insane um, it has become, Pokemon Go mania, um, the game went live on July 6th, okay? It's July 24th today, so that's, what, 18 days, okay? In those 18 days, okay, what have you done in the last 18 days? In those 18 days... Uh, get ready for this. This game has been downloaded more than 33 million times. Okay, that's, that's insane. That is actually more downloads in 18 days than any other game has accrued in all of human history. Okay. Um, now, of course, the app thing is, is somewhat new, but uh, really, it's, it's a game changer. It's something that, you know, in 50 years, we're going to look back and it's going to be something that has a, it really will have like a cultural kind of um, impact and, and a marker in human history. 33 million people, and that's just in the first, not even in the first month, 18 days, okay? Um, like I said, you know, what have we done in the last 18 days? Uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, this game has become so compelling that, you know, we have tens of millions of people playing it uh, every day. They're devoting it's uh, very interesting to me as I'm watching our, uh, our Team One go around uh, the Bishop Reservation with their heads down, look, faces you know, buried in their phones and, and you know, tapping their phone and, 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 and like cheering. And, and I'm like, what is going on? Is there some kind of important message that our church is sending us? No, it's, I, I caught uh, Pikachu, you know, and uh, I'm evolving him. Like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, one of the interesting things is we were able to actually use Pokemon Go to um, build bridges with uh, some of the Paiute teenagers and kids who are playing the game as well. So, you know, God can use anything. Uh, just goes to show, right? Um, so as I'm observing this game just kind of 
explode and, and people, you know, and, and reading news articles about people uh, so just involved in this game uh, that they're like, you know, running into trees with their cars because they're, they're looking at their phones or actually people are have, I guess they've fallen off of cliffs too or something like that. And um, because again, they're so, in, you know, uh, engrossed in this game. Um, it made me wonder, you know, what could happen uh, to our world if God's church could embrace our identity and power in Jesus as zealously as these Pokemon fans have embraced their identity and power um, in this fictional game? It's an interesting question to think about. And so the major themes of this passage here in uh, chapter 1 um, are actually kind of summed up in today's title, Embracing Our Powerful Identity in Christ. Embracing our power and our identity in Christ. So our first point today uh, is co- it comes from verse 3. So if you have your Bible or your Bible apps, um, go ahead and look there. And there in verse 3 it says that His divine power, God's, Yahweh's, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, point number one for today is this. Yahweh, God, right? God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He has already granted to us all the power that we need. So, all the power that you need to live life. All the power that you need to be Christ-like, to be godly, okay, godly, Christ-like, I'm going to kind of use those interchangeably. All the power that pertains to life and godliness, as it indicates to us there, has already been granted to you by God. You already have the power to do that. So tell the person next to you, God's already given you all the power. Go ahead. All right. We're alive. We're awake. (laughs) Now, this is something that I'm sure you've all probably seen. It's, you know, there's a company out there that runs a commercial on TV. And in this commercial, there's a, I'm going to give it away here, a toy rabbit, a certain little toy rabbit that bangs on a drum. Okay. And the company, of course, uh, to which I'm referring is Energizer. Right. You guys know uh, the battery company, company Energizer. Now, the idea behind this commercial is that this toy rabbit It runs on Energizer batteries, and because it's using Energizer batteries, it will never die. It just keeps on going. It just keeps on, that little drum-playing rabbit just keeps on marching, doesn't it, right? Even now, it's been years and years since this commercial first came out. Well, your faith, my faith, our faith is a lot like that. No matter what difficulties come our way, Our faith, your faith, just keeps on marching. And how does it do that? It does that by the power of God, which is, you know, I guess you could kind of think of it as a spiritual battery that has an eternal um, lifetime, lifespan. Our faith keeps on marching. And this is really important to remember because so many things in this world are trying to take your faith away. So many things in this world challenge your faith, right? You see something, and you kind of scratch your head, and you go, where's God, right? 
You see so many things uh, on the global level. You also see things on the personal level that try to weaken your faith, that try to disrupt your faith. Uh, there's something that you really want, a plan in your life that you really hoped would uh, succeed and something would happen, a job, getting to a certain school, uh, a certain type of relationship, right, that you're in. And uh, for whatever reasons, you know, your plans didn't work out. They didn't, it didn't turn out the way that you had thought. And then uh, your faith uh, goes through a challenge. Your faith is stretched. And hopefully, like that drum-playing rabbit, your faith just keeps on marching. What's really great is this. Though the enemy, the prince of this world, Satan, though he tries everything he can to try to disrupt and take your faith away from you, we know that above it all, Jesus is almighty. Amen? Amen? And not only is Jesus almighty, but Jesus is at work. Amen? So he's almighty, and he's at work. And he's doing that in you and in us. So we talked about this power, this point number one. God, and you said this to your neighbors, right? God has already given us all the power that we need. So that begs the question, okay, well, God gave us his power. What is this power for? Right? What do we use this power for? Well, for starters, look at verse 4. And at the end of that verse, we see the main purpose for which God, Yahweh, gives us power. There are a lot of reasons why he gives us power. This is probably, uh, you know, if you're playing Family Feud, answer number one. The main purpose for which Yahweh gave you power, in verse four, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Let me pause there. So that through his power, he can take two bodies and bring them together. And if you know anything about chemistry or physics, in order to move different bodies and bond them, what needs to take place? What do you need? Well, you need energy, right? You need some kind of power, right? And so God gives us power so that we can partake. We can be partners with God in his divine nature. And I'll give you some uh, examples of that a little later. And... Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God gives you power so that through the knowledge of Christ, you can escape from the corruption that's in the world due to our sinful desires. I want you to think of that phrase. The corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires. God gave us power so that we could have eternal victory over that corruption and decay. If you study the word corruption there, you know, as you may or may not know, um, the New Testament was written in Greek. If you look at the original word there, that original word um, has kind of a, a, a variety of meanings. Uh, decay, um, it of, it's often used to describe a dead body in the Greek. So this decay, um, rottenness, uh, breakdown. So when we think of the word corruption, a lot of times we think of, you know, a crooked politician, right? A crooked judge, crooked police. You know, that's, that's all over the headlines, right? Corruption. 
the word corruption here includes that, but also includes everything else that comes from, uh, that results from sinful desire. So not only is it corrupt politicians, but when the Bible here talks about corruption, it's also talking about the breakdown of the world. Uh, it's talking about broken systems. It's talking about, um, it's talking about disease that, uh, you know, hurts our bodies and hurts the people that we love. It's talking about broken relationships, you know, self, due to selfishness and pride and hard-heartedness and stubbornness. That's all part of corruption. When Peter talks about corruption, he's talking about those things. He's talking about also the corruption on a, on a global scale. He's talking about natural disasters and floods and tsunamis and earthquakes that result in death, chaos, and destruction, decay. And God says about all of that corruption that comes from uh, a sinful, broken world. Our world is broken because we brought sin into it, right? And with this broken world is all this corruption. And what does God say this here? He says this, having escaped. It's a past perfect. In other words, it has already happened and it's done. It's a perfect action, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sin. I want you to think about that. Let it sink in. God has given you and me the power to escape from the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desire. It says it right there. It's not my opinion. If you've been watching the news recently, how many times, maybe some of you younger people uh, can't really relate to this, but how many times over the years, uh, if you're maybe my age and above, have you seen a reporter on TV reporting about some terrorist attack in the Middle East, killing dozens of people? And if uh, you're anything like me, you would see these reports, you'd feel sad, maybe say a prayer, and then you'd turn the channel. Why? Because these were events that happened over there in the Middle East. It didn't really have any relevance to me here in California. I grew up in California. It's like, yeah, it always happens there in the Middle East. What's wrong with the people there? You know, it's like, don't they, like, do they like, you know, dying and all this? It's, it's, it's chaos. And so I would flip the channel and watch something else, you know, a sitcom or something to make me feel better about the world and better about myself. But what used to happen only in the Middle East... In the past 15, 20 years, has now spread and it's happening in more places like France, London, and right here, even in our own, own country. And I don't want to uh, focus only on um, a certain kind of violence that occurs because of a certain kind of religious uh, mindset. There's also horrible things happening for other reasons, with other motivations. As I mentioned earlier, corrupt policemen and people who are angry and people who in their anger are taking vengeance, taking the law into their own hands. And it's, you know, nobody's right. Everybody's wrong in this situation. And it's resulting because of this sinful desire of revenge, of fear, of racism. It's all resulting, the sinful desire is resulting in what? Just like it says here in the Bible, corruption. God created the world perfect, and then we're the ones who corrupted it. 
And before you start pointing fingers at the, you know, uh, terrorists in the Middle East, or before you start pointing people at the, you know, uh, pointing your fingers at, you know, Black Lives Matter or corrupt policemen, I think you and I need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what sinful desires have I contributed, have I given into, and thus contributed to this mess that we call the world? You see, we all have sinful desires, and then we also all have Christ-like desires, if you have Christ in you. It's just a question of which desires are you going to feed? Let me say that again. We all have sinful desires, and if you're in Christ, we all have Christ-like desires. And life is just a matter of which set of desires you're going to feed. Which set of desires are you going to give into? Sometimes you and I, you know, I'm not above all this <laughs> by no means. Sometimes you and I, we make decisions that we know we shouldn't. And like ripple effects, it causes damage to the people that we love around us. It causes destruction to our surrounding world. And it causes decay in our very souls. And Peter says, the corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires, we have been delivered from by the power of Christ. Amen? So we need to take a look at ourselves. Before we start blaming other people, before we start blaming, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, before we start blaming, um, you know, this movement or that movement, and before we start blaming you know, this religious group and that religious group, we need to first look at ourselves and confess, I too have rebelled against God in my own life. And I have added my fair share to the decay that we see in this world. That's something that a really honest person will say. That's something that a person who takes the time a day to really think about their life, think about their past, and think about their past relationships, and understand, yeah, there were times where I gave in to my sinful desires rather than my Christ-like desires. And this leads us to point two. Power is meaningless if we don't use it Power is meaningless if we don't use it. So the first point was what? God gave you all the power you need. But the second point is this. That power that God gave you, unless you use it, it's meaningless. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've been a believer for more. And I, I, when I read this this past week, it was like a slap in the face. I'm pretty sure I've read this before, but I think for the first time it really hit me. And what hit me was this. 
it's possible for Christians to be ineffective and unfruitful in their knowledge of God. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy what this verse here says. Um, again, in the original Greek, it's, it's even more kind of stark and uh, blunt. In the Greek, it says, I'll, it's kind of fun to, to, to hear, so I'll just say it for you. Uk argus ude akarpus. And literally, that means this, lazy and unfruitful. Lazy and unfruitful. So the Bible here in verse 8 is warning me and you about receiving the powerful knowledge of Jesus, but then becoming what? Lazy. And becoming ineffective, unfruitful, impotent in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus, listen to this, guys. The knowledge of Jesus is such that when someone truly has it, it's impossible for them to not change. And when I say knowledge, I'm not just talking about cognitive, you know, one plus one equals two knowledge. I'm talking about knowledge like I know my best friend and my best friend knows me. I know my husband of 30, 40, 50 years just like he knows me. That's the kind of knowledge we're talking about, knowing deeply. And so, the knowledge, knowing Jesus, it's, it's such a thing that when we enter into this personal relationship of knowing Jesus, it's impossible for you to remain unchanged. You have to change it. It just changes you. Like radioactive, you know, uh, minerals <laughs> you put it inside you there's no way it's not going to affect you the gospel is the same thing once you receive it into you there's no way that you can't change you start glowing with Christ's likeness you start glowing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control you start glowing because you have the knowledge of God in you we are not to be lazy and ineffective in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter warns us there in this letter. Going back to the Energizer Bunny, you know, it's great that we have this powerful battery from God, right? It's the greatest battery uh, ever invented, right? The power to deliver us from the corruption of the world. I mean, you know, this is the stuff that fiction is made of, right? But here's the crazy thing. It's not fiction. It's real. We do have the power. But God has given this, this powerful battery. What It doesn't do any good if you leave the battery in the packaging, does it? You've, got, you've received this great, amazing power, this battery, if you will. But it doesn't do you any good if we just leave it in the packaging and we never take it and plug it in? Are we plugged in? Are we as a church plugged in with the power of God? Or is it still in the nice, pristine packaging, safe at arm's distance? Is the battery, the power of God in you personally? Or have we just left the package unopened 
all dust covered. As Christians, there are times in our lives when it seems that our faith isn't really having any impact. It's not having any impact on our lives, and it feels like it's not having any impact on the lives of others. I'm not saying it's always like that, but I want to give hope to those who are going through a time like that right now. In those times, maybe you're forgetting your identity. Your identity as someone who is reborn. You are a new creation in Christ. And maybe you've left God's battery in its packaging. This past week in Bishop, I had a chance to walk around the neighborhood. And if you've been there, you can right now kind of walk with me through, you know, Paha Street and Tusu Lane and CV and Barlow. These are all names of streets there. It's, it's a pretty small area, perpendicular streets. I don't know, maybe like five blocks, right? And um, as I'm walking around, meeting lots of people, just, you know, really enjoying my time there. In some of the yards, you can see peach trees, and uh, right now it's peach season. You guys know that probably, right? You go into the Safeway and see peach trees. Well, I actually went to a place where, whoa, they actually have trees with peach, peaches growing on them, right? Um, and, uh, you know, in other yards, you see like tall, green, lush grass. Um, in other yards, I actually get to see like puppies and, and uh, kittens. Um, some of us may have actually seen mountain lion cubs. Um, there were some mountain lion, or eight reports of a mountain lion with its two cubs. Um, it's summer there, and it's time, uh, the summer is a time of growth before the, before the autumn, before the harvest, right? And that's the rhythm of the seasons, and that's how God created things. In a similar way, you know, that seeds grow into plants, then grow into fruit, um, or puppies and kittens grow into dogs and cats. Um, Yahweh also created us as human beings designed to grow and multiply and prosper. We're not to remain unchanged or static. And there's a, also a fundamental difference. So, yeah, there's some similarity between us and plants and, and animals. But there's also a fundamental difference between human beings and animals. Unlike any other created beings in the world, we human beings and we alone were created in Yahweh's own image. And so that means that there are certain characteristics of God that um, we are to resemble. And we are to resemble them at a high level, not just kind of like we're trying to stretch and make a connection between God and us. No, we at a very high level, real level, uh, resemble God in certain characteristics, such as our reason, for example, authority and power and creativity. Why am I bringing this up? Because God gave us those resemblances because those things are good, and he then wants to reflect those good traits to the rest of the world, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you to do that, to bring his goodness to the ends of the earth. And so God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. It says in Genesis 1. And then God blessed them, and this is what he said, be fruitful. Second Peter says, don't be lazy and ineffective, right? In Genesis, be fruitful. Multiply, 
fill the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. Take the image of God that is in you that you were created and take it so that all the world can see, not you, but see God, God in you, Christ. And so that's our new identity in Christ. That's the power that binds you to God's nature, to be partakers of his divine nature. This is the power that we talked about in point one to put you back in the womb so that you can be what? Reborn. Born again Christian. If you have Christ, then that means that you were reborn as God's people. And as a new person, this includes, with this new life that you've been given, it includes the following things. A lifetime of continual growth in Christ's likeness and a lifetime of reflecting that growing Christ-likeness to the whole world until the day that you die or until the day that Jesus returns, whichever comes first, both of which are inevitable realities. And so, as we think about our new identity, right, embracing our identity, we've talked a little bit about embracing our power in Christ, embracing our identity, We're talking about our identity in Christ, reborn. What are some of the features that come with this new life in Jesus? Well, today's chapter, it gives us just a partial list. This is not by no means a comprehensive list. It's just a partial list. Okay, of and this list includes seven traits, beginning with verse 5. And so this is what our new identity, if you have been reborn in Jesus, through Jesus through his knowledge, then this new life looks like this. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, okay, your faith, your saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, with virtue. Now the word virtue just kind of means like, uh, the ancient Greeks use that to mean like, overall just excellence, just goodness, okay? So, supplement your faith with virtue, And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. There you have just a kind of a starter's list of seven characteristics of your new identity in Christ. If you want to embrace your identity in Christ, these are some of the things that naturally happen as you plug into the power of God. You grow in virtue. You grow in your knowledge. And again, knowledge is not only the cognitive stuff of God, but also your heart knowledge of God. You grow in your self-control. So people, you know, those of us who have issues with you know, giving in to a temptation or we have problems with short temper, Um, there's good news. In Christ, you can grow in your self-control. We can grow in that. With steadfastness, which is like not giving up. You are solid. You are dependable. You are enduring. You you persevere. You don't just give up, you know, one way or the other with, you know, just every blow of the wind. 
but you're steadfast, you're dependable, steadfast in your faith. Godliness, again, just generally reflecting um, a reverence for God. You will grow in brotherly affection, and you will grow in love. Do those sound like good things to you? Do those sound like things that you would like to grow in? But let's be honest, right? Those things are hard to attain. It's not easy to be self-controlled. It's not easy to be, to have perseverance. It's not easy to love. It might be easy to love people you like, but we're also called to what? Love people we don't like. And sometimes that's your own spouse, right? Sometimes that's your own kids. Sometimes that's your parents. Sometimes that's your best friend. Sometimes that's your pastor. Sometimes that's your people at church. And we're called to love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. So let us love one another earnestly, but it's not easy. It's very hard. And so I want to give you some good news. This is point three, our third and last point. This power that has been given to you has already been paid for It already has your name on it. And all you need to do is receive it. Look at verse 4 again. It says, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. God promises that those who receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are granted entrance into the eternal kingdom. It says it right there again. There in uh, verse 11. This may be something that you already know. It may be something that you are hearing for the first time today. Let me just say this. When God makes a promise, he doesn't break it. When God makes a promise, he doesn't break it. I want you to say that to your neighbor. Go ahead and say that right now. Make sure you're awake. (laughs) And God promises that those who are in Christ can escape, have already, having already escaped, have the power to escape from the corruption that is in this world because of our sinful desires. All of this power (laughs) is available to us through Jesus Christ. Now, going back to the Pokemon Go, it's interesting to me that some company in Japan or some company here in the States uh, can put things out there in the world that are not even real. They're just on your phone. And people orient their entire life and their entire day and devote energy and resources. $37 million has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, $37 million in revenue, again, in just, you know, 18 days. So there are people, this money's coming from somewhere, somebody's pockets. And to try to acquire these imaginary cards and things, creatures, 
you know, we have people orienting. And you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just like any other game, right? Football, basketball, it's the same thing. It's just a game. But all that to, to acquire and to catch them all. And I just want to remind you and remind myself, you don't need to go out there and catch them all. God has already given you the greatest thing. And so you can rest in gratitude and joy and assurance that God has already given you the greatest thing. What more can he give his son? How will he not also graciously give you all other things? If there are things going on in your, if you're in a situation in your life where you're just asking, God, what's going on? I can't tell you how the story is going to end, but I can tell you that Jesus is with you, that Jesus has suffered. He knows your suffering. He knows your anguish. He knows your hopes. He knows your desires. And he's already given himself to you. And everything that you need, he will give to you. Everything that you need, he will provide for you. How do we know this? Because he provided for our greatest need to escape the corruption that is in this world. And we will be freed from that. We will be delivered from that because of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to end with this uh, little story about Bishop. You know, there are times when I too forget about this stuff. And I need reminders. Um, there at the last part of uh, our passage today, Peter talks about, I'm telling you this to remind you of these qualities, verse 12. I'm telling you this so that when I go home, he says, when I leave my body, verse 14, and this will be soon, he's thinking, because he, he probably knows that the Roman Empire is not very happy, and neither are the Jewish leaders, the establishment, very happy with what he's saying about Jesus. They're telling him to shut up, but he can't, he won't. And so then he says, very soon, um, the putting off of my body, which is just, you know, he's talking about his death. And I want to make every effort that as long as I am here, that you will be able to at any time recall these wonderful things about Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this stuff because I love you. And when I'm gone, I want you to remember. We all need reminders. That's why when you don't go to church after a while on Sunday, even though it seems like a kind of an immature, childish thing, oh, I don't need to go to church Sunday. Actually, you do, because we're forgetful people. We forget where we put our watches and our keys and our socks. And God knows this, and he wants us to gather together and be reminded. And he says it right there. And so I need myself, I myself needed a reminder. This is uh, what God reminded me of this past week. Uh, about my true identity and about my power for Christ-likeness. Um, there was a, an older uh, woman who um, was in the hospital, and we have a visitation team in Bishop. They just go around and visit people and pray for people. And so we went to uh, this hospital room, um, not me, but the team. Uh, John Har was one of them. And uh, met this old lady, and she's hard of hearing, pretty old, and they don't really know what's wrong with her. And it's been apparently about like four months since she's been really sick, and before that, for years, she's been kind of sick, diabetes and all that. And I guess at some point, um, she asked if uh, 
they could have a pastor um, come and pray with her. And so we had a couple pastors there. I happened to be, uh, I guess, the lucky one to get picked to go um, visit this one. We went to the, back to the hospital, maybe I think a day later. She wasn't there. She got discharged, which was kind of surprising because from the sounds of it, she wasn't in any condition to be discharged. So um, fortunately, John had her address. And so we went to the house. And it was very interesting because I guess um, when they visited her, they only had talked to her and there was nobody there. When we got to the house, um, she was asleep, but we were welcomed or maybe not welcomed by um, some, you know, pretty burly men, okay? And they were, you know, justifiably so kind of suspicious of us. They're like, who are you guys? Like, they've never met us. They've never seen us. So understandably, they're kind of like, you know, who are you guys? And so we had to kind of introduce ourselves and, and let them know that Catherine, uh, the woman, invited us to, to come and, and to pray for her. And um, so that seemed to kind of warm them up a little, but not really because they kept us at the, the threshold of the, the front door and we couldn't really go in and we didn't want to. You know, we didn't want to scare them off or creep them out, right? It's not really our place. So we just kind of told them what we were doing and uh, about Catherine's request, who happens to be um, their mother. Two, two men, pretty, like I said, big guys. The, the younger one was really, like, he was like this tall. He was, I don't know, he was like 250 pounds, big guy. And uh, so, you know, he, he was none too happy to have these two strange Asian-looking guys come to his house. Like, who are you guys, you know, talking about my mom. And uh, well, I said, okay, well, maybe we'll come back another time when she's awake and uh, we'd like to pray. And I think there God did some kind of miracle because the older brother, um, who was just, just as kind of, you know, like, you know, to us kind of, you know, intimidating maybe, um, I guess he misheard and he thought he, we were saying we want to pray with him. So he comes out and we're about to get in the car and then he stands there and he goes like this. Like, oh, okay, I guess, uh, I guess we're going to pray together. <laughs> so we start praying and, uh, you know, this man, despite... You know, the hardness of his welcome um, or lack thereof, he just starts bawling because he's praying for his mom. And I think he was touched that these two strangers would come all the way from San Jose and that God brought them just to pray for his sick mom. And as uh, we kind of ended up that prayer time, I mean, he, he was just, you know, kind of tears and everything and, you know, all the waterworks. And uh, he, I think he was a bit embarrassed, understandably. So he just like, he goes, thanks, guys. And he runs to his car. He goes, I got to go, I got to go. And, um, you know, I just want to say, you know, hey, I hope to see you again. And I go over to the car to say that. And somehow it comes up that he hasn't had lunch because they've been taking care of their mom for like, you know, the whole day. And nobody in the house has eaten lunch. Well, interestingly enough, we have a whole bunch of leftover food back at, you know, our camp, back at our, the church base. We're like, hey, well, would you mind if we brought some food over, some Korean food? And that kind of seemed to, like, lighten up his mood. He's like, oh, well, I haven't eaten yet. And I said, well, what about the people inside? He's like, yeah, they haven't eaten yet either. Well, we'll bring, I think we have enough. We'll bring it all. And so we, you know, John and me, were like excited kids. We're like, yeah, this is so cool. So we go back to the church pack up, you know, uh, the food. It was purgogi, which is like Korean barbecue beef. We go, we, we pack up a tray of that. And we go back to the house, and it's, the smell is just like wafting through the air. And this time, we get to the door, 
And it's like a completely different story. They smell the beef, the barbecue, and the rice. And they're like, come on in, yeah. <laughs> and so we get welcomed, and we sit. And uh, uh, we got to talk to them. And um, actually, that led to another, ta- another visit the day after that, where we actually did get to meet with Catherine. And it was a sweet time. This little old lady, uh, beautiful lady, and just you could tell she's downtrodden and beaten down, and you know she was talking about her physical condition, and she was saying, "It's just been so long. I don't know why. It's just I'm so tired. I'm just so tired of this." And it made me think of this passage that we had just meditated on earlier in the week. God has given us the power to overcome all the decay and the corruption in this world and the diabetes that she suffers from and the aches and the congenital heart thing and the fluid around her lungs, all that stuff, that's all part of just the decay that we've brought into the world. And I was so glad to be able to share with her, God loves you. And I know it's hard for you right now. I can't, I can't relate. I'll be honest, I can't because I'm not where you are. But Jesus suffered too. And he knows your suffering. And he's with you. And he wants to take your suffering on him. And that's what he did on the cross. And we prayed for her. And we prayed in that spirit. And John prayed a beautiful prayer for her just reminding her that Jesus too, he's not sitting on the throne all you know, in his kingly robes and has never had a hard day in his life. He also suffered. He also went through anguish. He also was deserted by his friends. He went through not just physical suffering, but emotional suffering. And we wanted to just, we felt like God had sent us there to bring comfort because he wanted to comfort Catherine and he sent us there to do it. When Christians step out in faith and do something that's just a little bit uncomfortable, it's probably just a little bit uncomfortable because you're walking on water. And you're doing miracles. And God is doing miracles through you. And God is reflecting his image to others who need it, to a hungry and thirsty world through you. That's not easy. Make no mistake, that's not going to be an easy thing to do, but it's the most glorious and excellent and everlasting thing to do. And God has already given you the power to do it. So let's be reminded to take, like he reminded me, take the battery of God, take Jesus out of the package, plug in, and then just witness what God does through us. Let's pray. Just spend a little time. The Lord has spoken through his word in 2 Peter chapter 1. And just ask God, okay, Lord, What do you want to say to me? What do you want to really stick with me right now? I open myself up to you. This is part of opening up the package 
and taking that battery, the power of God, and really just embracing your identity, embracing the power of Christ. So take some time to just be in a blank page and, and let the Holy Spirit write on you. Father, would you put something on our hearts? We surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender our lives to our identity, our newfound identity, born again in you. New creations. Father, what is it that you want to tell us right now, right here? We open ourselves to you. Abba, Father, speak to us, your children. continue to pray and during this time we're going to have a time of worshipful response and along with that uh, as part of that we will if anyone has tithes or offerings that they'd like to offer in response to him and his greatness his love uh, our ushers will come around and graciously receive your love offering to the Lord let's respond respond